Today's passage is going to be one that is probably one of the most well-known in all of Scripture. And as one commentator said this week, it's the passage God used to transform His life. Romans chapter 12 is our text this morning, if you want to turn there. To give you a couple of comments, there's a preacher whose name was Dwight L. Moody. How many of y'all have ever heard of Dwight L. Moody? So he's the founder of, obviously, the Moody Church in Chicago. There was a ministry that grew out of that, Moody Bible Institute. Moody was traveling around the world, and there's an interesting little article on this. As he was traveling around the world, listen to this statement that he heard a man named Henry Varley say. Varley, in passing, made this comment. He said, The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully set apart to him. Now let me repeat that in case you didn't hear it. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man, or we could say with a woman, who is totally set apart to Him. So I'm going to ask you a a question this morning, after I clear my throat. Is there anything in your life, or my life, that keeps you or keeps me from being fully set apart to the Lord. Now, by the way, this is piercing. Did you know that? I I told you the hardest part of preaching is preaching to yourself before you ever preach to anyone else. The worst feeling in the world is to stand up and tell someone else what you should do and you be the hypocrite. So I have had to look in a mirror all week knowing what my passage is And praying this, you know, this is where we are, by the way. We're all desperate. Dear Lord, you must help me. Now, I've told you before, there's only two groups of people in Christiansburg that do not struggle with sin. So hear me carefully. They're in Sunset Cemetery and Roselawn Cemetery. Those are the only two groups of Christians who do not have a struggle with sin. All the rest of us, to different varying degrees are in this battle with life and struggle with sin. Paul is going to help us this morning through the grace of God and the power of His Spirit to transform us, to help us, to equip us, to enable us to be successful and honoring to God in our life. Now how do we do that? Are you all ready for that? By the way, Romans 12 and 13 is the practical section in this epistle. We have worked our way through this, talking about how God has declared a believer righteous by believing on Jesus. Our sin is gone. As far as judicially, God has declared us to be as right with Him as Jesus. And then God has given us power in our life to enable us to live victoriously for Him. So Paul here is going to lay out how a believer builds healthy relationships. And this is going to start with our relationship to God. It's going to transfer to our relationship with each other. And then it's going to move to our relationship with our community, with our enemies, with our state, with our government. Not that they're our enemy, but I guess they could be. Anyway... He's going to lay this out because this is the outline. So if you were going to outline these two chapters, I give this to you because I know you do devotions and I know you read ahead. So here's a great outline. 
Healthy relationships in Romans 13, 12 and 13, what is our relationship to God? What is our relationship with other believers? What is our relationship with our enemies? How does God expect His people to treat people who don't like us? And then what is the Christian's relationship to our state? So you can see the outline where we're going. Yes, I will stop and preach a Christmas message, but just hold on. This is really life-transforming truths here. But this morning we're going to think about what is the believer's relationship to God? Now this is our healthy relationship with Him. What does He expect from me? You know, what if I sat down with you this morning and asked you the question, what does God expect from your Christian life today? Could you answer? Now if you say, well, He expects me to read His Word. Okay, I agree with that. He expects me to pray. Okay, I agree with that too. Uh, he expects me to be nice to my husband or wife and love my children. I agree with that. What else does he expect for you to do? What is the one principle that transforms and changes our life? I'm going to tell you that, okay? And by the way, it's not something that you can do. It's something that you can allow to be done in your life. And when you learn this transformative principle, it'll change your Christian life. Okay? Are y'all ready? I mean, I believe, I believe today's message will change us. And that has been our prayer. So how do we do that? Well, let's start with some boring overview. Well, not really. What has Paul been talking about in chapters 1 through 11? Well, when you think about this, the most important distinction that he makes is God's actions with humanity in the, in the last part, and now he's going to deal with what all this justification, sanctification, all these big words we talked about, what does that mean in your daily life? And that's what he does here. And so listen to what he writes in Romans 12.1. You remember the message last week, God's not finished with Israel. He has con he's confined all under sin that he might show mercy to all. Now he writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. As preachers say oftentimes, when you see the word therefore, you always ask what it's there for. And by the way, if you like to study, this is the fourth time the word therefore is mentioned in Romans. Well, what are the first three? Well, I knew you would ask that, so I put it on the screen. The fourth therefore is in, the first is in 320. It is the therefore of condemnation. We are all under condemnation. We all fall short. The second therefore is in Romans chapter 5.1. It is the therefore of justification. We were all under condemnation. Therefore, we are all who believe in Jesus justified. And then the third is in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and that is the justification of assurance. Do y'all remember these? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, you have assurance from the first to the last. And now we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul uses the final time he says the word therefore in Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 12, and we have the therefore of dedication. In light of God declaring guilty sinners righteous, what is the believer's response? And the answer is dedication. Now, what does that mean? I printed off an article by Charles Stanley. 
He's an excellent practical writer. Did you know that? He's in heaven now. But listen to what this says. Dedication to God can have different meanings depending on the context. It can refer to the act of setting something apart for a specific purpose or the act of committing oneself to God's service. In the Bible, there are several examples of people dedicating things to God, such as the wall of Jerusalem or other issues. In a more general sense, being dedicated to God means being devoted to Him and His will. It involves living a life that is pleasing to God and following His commands. Being devoted to God means clinging to Jesus and steadfastly persevering with Him. Out of love and gratitude, we express our dedication to Him through three primary things. Listen to what Stanley says. A passion to obey. Do you have a passion to obey? Second, a spirit of humility. And finally, a servant's heart. So listen to what Stanley says. Dedication equals a passion to obey. It involves a spirit of humility. And then finally, a servant's heart. He says this is dedication. It is important to note that dedication to God is not something that can be achieved through one's own efforts. Listen carefully because this is where we're going this morning. Rather, it is a gift from God that is received through faith in Jesus. When we receive God's grace in Christ, we become people who are dedicated to God. This isn't our own doing. Rather, it's God's action dedicating us to God and God's own purposes. Okay, lovely. That still doesn't answer the question, how? How? Okay, so that's why I wanted you to be here. How? Okay, so now Paul writes, and I'm going to get back to Romans 12, Based on all this truth that God has done for the believer, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now let's go back, because if you look at this in the original language, people argue over this little technicality here. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, follow me closely. Is this instrumental or is it causal? Okay, what do you mean by that? I, I knew you'd ask that. Is it instrumental? In other words, is the mercy of God the instrument that makes you do this? Or is it causal? Is it the fact that because God has done this for you, you should now do this? I would answer yes. I think it's both. Based upon what God has done for us, we should do this. And also in the sense, God has to do this in our life. If you wake up one morning and think, I'm, I'm going to pull myself, I'm going to do all this by myself, I'm going to honor God and I don't need, I'm just going to tell you something, you're set up for a failure. You are setting yourself up for a failure. You can't do it. So what does Paul say? I, I plead with you, based upon God's mercy, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Now keep in mind, he just talked about the Jewish temple. He said that the Jews are the ones who had the temple and the sacrifices and the covenants. What did they do in a temple? They would take their animal sacrifice, 
they would take its life and they would put it on an altar and offer it to God. Well, you and I don't offer animals today. We don't carry animals to God because Jesus is the lamb who took away the sin of the world. So what does Paul do? He's now turning that saying, you want to know what you offer as a sacrifice to God? You offer your body, your temple. You give yourself to God. I'm appealing to you, brothers. Based upon God declaring you righteous, based upon God giving you what you need to live a righteous life, based upon the hope that we have in Jesus, give yourself to God. Now, thankfully, he's going to explain how we do that. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word there could mean logical. You know, it, based upon what God has done for us, it is only reasonable, as some people translate it. It's reasonable that we do this. Because, by the way, whether you know this or not, I'm here to help. You are going to be turned into the image of Jesus one day. There's hope. You may say, well, I don't feel it now. Trust me. God is going to conform you into the image of Christ. But we are going to daily struggle with sin. So Paul tells us the way we have victory over this is we dedicate our body as a living sacrifice to Him. You are no longer your own. You have no right to tell yourself what you want to do as a believer in Jesus. Now, I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. God tells you what to do. He is the one who has bought you with a price. You surrender to Him. It's not about anybody else. It's just you and Him. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. This is your logical service. It's what any reasonable person would do, seeing what God's done. Now notice what Paul writes. Knowing that we live in a world that draws us away from God every breathing moment, he warns us. There, here's the negative. Do not be conformed to this, let me properly read it, age. To this age. Do not be conformed to this age. What does that mean? Well, you and I all know as we watch TV, as we read the paper, as we watch culture, what is the message of this age? I mean, I could sit here and preach a whole message on the lure of this age. It has to do with sensuality. It has to do with greed. It has to do with power, position in life. I mean, all of these things that the world is clawing for, what does God tell the believer to do? You must resist. You must resist. You say, well, how do I do that? Okay, I'm going to tell you. It's coming. But the negative of presenting your body is you cannot let yourself be conformed to the world. Now the positive. Are you ready? Do not be conformed to this world, but... But the positive side, you are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The battle is not in the body necessarily. The battle is in the mind.
I want to tell you something, folks. This is spiritual warfare ground. If you don't think that you are in spiritual battle, I, I challenge you this week. Sit down and tell God, I'm going to pray for you, to you for 15 minutes. You ready for this challenge? And you take your stopwatch and don't watch your clock. Set your stopwatch and turn your phone upside down. Start praying. See how long you can go. Start off with adoration to God and thanksgiving. Talking about how good He is. Give God your requests. Just, just watch what happens. It is spiritual battleground when you go to transform the mind. We must have God's help. But Paul says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Now you have to renew your mind. And when you do that, you won't have to wonder, should I do this or should I not? Because God says that if we renew our mind, we present our body, we renew our mind, listen to what He says, that by testing, you will know what is the will of God. You know, Christians sometimes struggle with this. What is, what's God's will for my life? Paul tells us how to find that out. Present your body to Him, renew your mind, you'll know what's right and what's wrong. Now, he may not tell you, buy this house, don't buy this house, buy this car, don't buy this car. But you'll know right from wrong. He helps us with that. There will be no question. And you'll know, by the way, when you do this, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is his answer. Dedicate the body, renew the mind, know the will of God. Y'all with me? That was the Holy Spirit calling, by the way. And he was saying to you, listen, listen, this is my word. Now, what are three steps that Paul gives us to devoting our life to Jesus? Well, I've already told you, but here they are in review, and then we're going to get to the very practical stuff. First of all, he tells us to give him our body. Now, as we think about this, Warren Wiersbe writes this, which I thought was excellent. He says, the Christian's body is God's temple because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Key here, it is our privilege to glorify Christ in our body and magnify Christ in our mind. We glorify Him in our body. We magnify Him in our mind. He goes on to write, Paul gives us two reasons for this commitment. First of all, it's the right response to all that God has done for us. And second, it is our reasonable service or our spiritual worship, presenting our body. This means that every day is a worship experience when your body is yielded to the Lord. Now listen, tomorrow is Monday. Sometimes people think the only day they worship is church on Sunday. That is so wrong. I mean, that's the most errant thing you can ever hear in the Christian life. I want to tell you something. At 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, when you walk into work, you're worshiping. When you go home this evening and you talk to your family and you talk to your neighbor, you're worshiping. Paul is teaching here that every moment of life is worship. When you do your job, what does Paul tell you to do at your job? What does God tell us? This is what God's saying. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it for the Lord. Christians should be the best workers in the workforce. 
Because we're not serving men as eye-pleasers. We're serving the Lord. That's our testimony. So the next time we go to grumble at work, by the way, people, people love to complain, don't they? This is our nature. We're the grumblingest people ever. Paul says, be cautious. Be cautious before you grumble because you're worshiping. When you go to a ball game, listen to me, folks, you're worshiping. There is never a time in the believer's life when you're not called to worship. I had to read a book one time by a man whose name was uh, Brother Lawrence. He's a monk. He's, he was a little out there. But I want to tell you something. He shared a truth that changed my life. He wrote a little book. I've told you about it. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. While he was a monk, he was assigned to wash dishes. And he began to sit there and ponder in his mind, how could I, how could I do this menial service? And, and how could this be honoring to God? Listen, he said, I realized one day God was there while I was washing those dishes. He said, as I began to scrub the food off the plate and wash those plates, put them up in the hanger, he said, I sensed anew the presence of God in my life. He said, and then I learned this truth. There is nowhere I go, there is nothing I do that God is not there with me and that He is not leading me and speaking to me in my life to be the vessel that He wants to use. And Brother Lawrence said this, at that moment, a transformative principle happened in my life. I began to practice the presence of God. By the way, when I do pre-marriage counseling, I always tell these couples that are you know, getting ready to get married, I say, now listen, I know temptation comes, but if, if it ever comes, I want you to do something. You're both believers in Jesus. I want you to picture Jesus sitting right there in the middle of you. Okay? You know why? Believer in Jesus, you know why? Because He is. He is. Give Him your body. The next step, give Him your mind. Paul writes, and I think I actually put it on the screen. He, he writes in uh, 12.2. This is my, my go-to passage here. Uh, that we are to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Now, how do you do this? You're reading this passage on the screen, I know, but I'm going to read to you what another man wrote. He said, The world or the age wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. The word transform is the same word used only two other times in the New Testament. Once when Jesus was transfigured on the mount. Do you all remember that story? He took James and John up on Mount Carmel and he was metamorphosed right before their eyes. Peter writes about this and says that he, he, his glory shone and it was brighter than anything ever. This is the same word Paul uses right here about the believer's mind. You know, he talks about the outward man fading away but the inward man is being renewed day by day. You can have wrinkles and moles and no hair on the outside and not look very appealing, but be so beautiful inside. The radiant glory shines. And this is why Paul says, we have this treasure 
in an earthen vessel. What is the treasure? It is the inner beauty, the transforming beauty that's inside the believer that's being worked out in us as we are being changed from image to image. So the first time it's used is in Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's the second time it's used, 2 Corinthians. Believer, are you hearing me? Listen to what Paul writes, because here's the secret. Here is the secret. We all, believers, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, we are being, here's our word, metamorphosed, transformed into the same image. Notice this change from one degree of glory to another. Now let me help you with this. The moment you trust Jesus, you believe on Him for eternal life. God declares you righteous. But I want you to know something. You're a baby. You're a baby in Christ. That's not to insult you. You can be 75 years old, come to faith in Jesus, and you're a baby in Christ. Some people teach and believe that at that moment, you are completely engulfed and never again are you going to have this issue of struggle. You know, you're, going to, you're, you're just totally committed and given. I don't believe that. I believe that it's one thing to make Jesus Lord, uh, Savior of your soul, but it's another to make Him Lord of your life. This is what Paul's dealing with in Romans 12. Believer, understand what God has done for you and now as a result of that, give yourself to Him. Give Him your struggles. Give Him your problems. Give Him your, give him your body. Give Him your mind and let Him do with it what He wants to do. And as you discipline yourself to do this and as you behold His glory, you are being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory to another. And by the way, folks, this is an intentional process. And you have to be involved and you have to let God do it. It's where the human spirit and the Holy Spirit work together. You have to submit. I have to submit I have to give him his way. And this is where the battle starts. You want to know why? I'm talking personal to you this morning. Here's why. Because I want my way. I want to do what pleases me. And this is the battle. And Paul says that if we are to be transformed... We do this by changing, allowing God to change us from one degree to another. From one degree, for this comes how? Notice this. From the Lord who is the Spirit. How is your inner life changed? It's changed by the power of His Spirit in the working with your mind and through your body. This is the whole total package here, folks. Now, back in Romans, if you have your finger on the text, I want to show you something because this is very important. 
Paul writes here, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed is in a verb form that is passive. Now, if you were like me and you didn't understand English, I'm going to help you. Passive means that you have nothing to do with it. Someone, someone outside of you is acting upon you. What you are doing is surrendering and submitting to that, that outside that is acting upon you. Now notice what Paul writes. He says, we, you know, I appeal to you brothers by the mercy of God that you present your body. That you allow him to transform you. You can't do this. All you can do is submit and surrender and allow Him to come in and transform. How does this happen? By beholding who He is, what He's done for us, and dedicating ourselves to Him. Now how does this happen? Take a big deep breath because I've been digging a little bit here. It's, it's a little technical. You ever run into a situation where you ask, what should I do. What should I do? And you're wrestling with what is right and what is wrong. Do you stop and pray? Say, Father, you know, I am, I am trying to meet with you in the mornings or in the evenings whenever you meet with God. And I need something from your word. And by the way, Christian, you know, let me tell you, and I, I meet this challenge just like you. If we do not read God's Word every day, we do not hear His voice. You want to know what God's voice is? People say, do God speak today? Yes, He does. Right there. Right there. That's just where He speaks. And He speaks to His people through His Word. And the Holy Spirit takes this truth, transforms our mind, and enables us to do what is right and what is wrong. And this helps us. This changes us. This empowers us. This enables us to, to fulfill what He wants us to do. Sometimes we struggle and say, should I do this, Father? Well, pray about it. What is your Bible reading telling you to do? What's God saying through that? I mean, He is trying to speak and work in His people. But you know what we do? Listen right here. I'm, I'm going to make an open confession we can find so many distractions in life that we can totally ignore God. I'm going to tell you the hardest thing in the world to do, and the, the cell phone has totally, totally rocked Christian devotional time. Because the first thing I do in the morning, are you listening, is get up and check my phone. I keep it beside my bed because I have boys. I have traveling all night long, working midnight. I mean, you never know if they're going to break down. I am a pastor. You never know if somebody's going to call you in the middle of the night because a tragedy strikes. I leave my phone there. So this is just part of my practice. And when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is open my phone and go like this. Now, depending on what kind of messages I have on there, I check the importance. Let me tell you what happens. If you don't watch, you get this message and that message and the next thing you know, you start poking and scrolling on that and you're on this site and that site and checking this news and checking that news and the next thing you know, it's time to go. And you have, you have totally missed 
your time with the Lord. And now you're going to work. And when you go to work, God doesn't pay you to go there and do your devotions at work. He, you're, you are called to go and work. You've missed your time in the morning. Now you don't start your day off right. You've watched Facebook, you've watched Instagram, you've watched TikTok, you've watched everything that you shouldn't have. And we go through our day. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And then we get home, we say, Father, forgive me. You know, when I get home, I'll, I'll hear from you. And we get home and what happens? We've got this to do and that to do and this to do. And the next thing you know, we are exhausted from a day. We sit down and what do we want to do? Go ahead and tell me. Turn on the TV. We want to watch this show, see who won The Voice, see who won American Idol. We want to catch up on our Netflix. And the next thing you know, we're catching ourselves like this in the chair. And then we go to sleep. We get up the next morning, we check our phone again. And behold the tyranny of the urgent. And it happens again. Now let me tell you what happens, believer. Pretty soon... You forget all about hearing from God, praying. And you just get used to doing your thing. Now you get into a habit. And what is your habit? It's catching up on all the news in the world, everything that's going on except what God wants to do in your life and mine. And before you know it, we start slipping down this slope. And our transformation, we are no longer transformed into the image of Christ. Listen, we're conformed into the image of the age. And if you think this age doesn't target you, you hear me carefully. All of these media apps hire people to watch your patterns on the internet. And they intentionally and on purpose send you distracting items to make you buy, to make you look, and to make you go in that direction. Your every click that you and I make in media is traced, tracked, and targeted. And you get more and more and more. I'm telling you, I have met people who do this. And by the way, when you sign the rights to your phone, you give them permission to listen to your conversations. I had an attorney friend tell me he had no social media, nothing. He said one day he was talking to his wife over dinner and had his phone turned the other way. They were talking about something. He said, lo and behold, the next day an ad came up on a web popper. He said, this so alarmed me that I went and read the consent in all of the smartphone usage. He said, do you realize that every time you click on I agree, you give them permission to do that? I said, no, I didn't. because I don't sit there and read all that stuff. He said, well, you do. And I said this, well, I hope they hear the gospel several times a week. <laughs> they probably say, here goes that radical again. Cut him off for 30 minutes. It is so easy, folks, to be conformed to the age, to the world, and not allow ourselves to be transformed. It is intentional. Intentional. Okay, get on with it. All right, I will. Give him your body. Give him your mind. It's a battle. And give him your will. Now listen to what one man wrote. He said, It is only when we yield the will to God 
that His power can take over and give us the willpower and the want power. I like that. When we give God our will, that is, by the way, our desire. And by, did you know that people really react off of desire instead of knowledge? We do what we desire. And so what is Paul saying? Give him your desire. Lord, change my desire and make it your desire. Have you ever prayed that? And by the way, have you ever begged God to make your desire his desire? This is what Paul is saying. Give him your body. Give him your mind. Give him your desire. Let him have it. The writer goes on to say, it is when we give him our desire that he gives us the willpower and the want power that we need to be victorious. Now listen to what one writer said that he does, very practical here, in his life every day. This was so good. He said, for many years I have tried to begin each day by surrendering my body to the Lord. Then I go and spend whatever time I can in His Word and try and let Him transform my mind and prepare my thinking for that new day. Then I pray and I yield the plans of my day to Him and let Him work as He sees best. I especially pray about those tasks that upset or worry me. And He always sees me through. To have a right relationship with God, we must start the day by yielding to Him our bodies, our minds, and our wills. I want to challenge you to do that. Get up in the morning, dedicate your body to Him, go in His Word and find something to renew your mind, and then ask Him to change your desire and your will. Align it with His. So in order to do that, what does Paul say, uh, by the way? He gives us three daily responsibilities that every believer must practice. Three. I gave you three here, but listen to Paul's three. First of all, he says, Christian, wake up. Wake up. Look what he writes in Romans 13. This is the application section. He says, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. It is so easy in the Christian life to be lethargic. To just go on through our routine and go on. And the next thing you know, we are lulled into spiritual sleep. And Paul says, wake up. Why? Why must we be awake? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I wish we were in a classroom. What does that mean? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You say, well, I thought I was saved when I believed on Jesus. You were. The word salvation means deliverance. And what Paul is saying here is that 
Every day we live is a day that we are closer to His return. And believer, here's what's going to happen. He's going to come back one day and we don't want to be asleep. We don't want to be looking at things we shouldn't, doing things we shouldn't, living a life that we shouldn't, because He's coming. And Paul says you better keep this in mind because this is your daily responsibility. Your salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Imagine, you're, you're laying down at night. You get up. It's, it's dark. This is the imagery here. You're getting ready for your day. Paul says, get up. Don't sleep all day. Get up. What's the second action we're supposed to do? We are to dress up. We get up in the morning. We wake up. What are we to put on? Listen to what Paul says. The night is gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. You know, you get up in your pajamas. You take your pajamas off. What's Paul's making an analogy here. Cast off the works of darkness. And what are we to do? Dress up. We are to put on the armor of light. What is this? Well, Paul's going to tell us. When we put on the armor of light, we are intentionally putting off things that we shouldn't be wearing. Notice what he says. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Remember we just talked about the will? Let me tell you something, folks. We have something working against us and trying to mold us and push us in its image. And Paul says, the Christian life is a battleground. You have to wake up. You have to dress up. Put on the Lord Jesus. How do you do that? I've told you this morning. Set aside time for Him. Devote yourself to Him. Pray to Him. Read His Word. And yield yourself to His Spirit. What do you want me to do today, Father? Tell me. When I, when I bump into people, when I run into scenarios, give me wisdom to deal with this the way you want me to. We're talking to Him, praying without ceasing. When we are tempted to look at something that we shouldn't, what do we do? Listen to me. Immediately. The moment the Spirit convicts you, you should not be looking at that. Stop it! Stop it! Don't play with it. Stop it! You know what the will of God is. Obey it. Surrender. Do it. And let me tell you what happens, folks. Every little victory that you have as you walk toward the light, you become transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. It is a gradual, but it is an actual procession into His glory. And every little step that we take toward the light is victory, victory, victory. Quit thinking you're going to conquer Mount Carmel. You're not going to, you don't get to the top of a mountain with one step. You take little steps, little steps, step toward the light. And as you do that, 
You have victory. And celebrate those. Step up, Paul says. Verse 13, let us walk properly. Walk properly as in the daytime. Let us walk properly. You know, have you ever tried walking in the night? This past week, I have a little pocket flashlight I carry with me and the, the battery went dead. I've walked from my garage shed up to the house. I can't tell you how many thousands of times in my life I've walked up through there. But this particular night, it was dark. And I pulled my light out and the battery went dead. And I said, oh, brother, you know, well, I can close my eyes and walk up through here. That's not a good idea. <clears throat> anyway, it was dark. And I've got a little metal bridge that I made to walk across the creek. It's got rocks down in it, so I, I go to step across that metal. And I'm, you know, I take my foot and I'm going to... Because, you know, after you get above 50, falls hurt worse than they used to. So I, I begin taking my foot and I'm stepping out there. And about the time I, I get like that, I find my bridge and I, I step across. It's pitch dark. Dog running all around me. I put my other foot there and I got right on the edge. And I, I said, hmm, boy, that, that would turn easy. So I pulled my foot back over and I walked up to the edge of the yard. And I said, you know, this is just like the Christian life. Just like the Christian life. And Paul warns us, don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. And if you walk in the light, as He is in the light, what does He do? He transforms us. He changes us. Believer, listen to me. Walk where you can see. Submit where He tells you to go. And be obedient. Because part of dedication involves intentional turning from darkness and turning to light. So when you sense darkness in your life, turn from it. And when you do, you are turning toward light. Every day of our life, step by step, keep walking toward the light. And this is what changes us from one image into the next. This is Christian growth. It's not exactly in how much doctrine you know. It's in how you allow that doctrine to transform the way you walk and whether you step toward darkness or whether you step toward light. And when you step toward light, celebrate and give thanks to God because, listen to me, He's changing you into the image of His Son. And that is what He wants to do. Father, thank You so much this morning for Your Word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the transforming power of your spirit who's working in our life, in our midst. And I pray that as we sense your presence in our life, as we pray to you and talk to you daily, as we meet with other believers, that you will truly empower us, enable us, transform us into your image by surrendering our bodies to You, giving You our mind, and dedicating our will to You. And I pray that we would do that even today. 
Help us as we struggle through this life to step and to walk in the light where we can see, where we know what you're doing and help us to be obedient servants of yours in this present age that wants to conform us to its image. Help us wake up. Help us dress up. And help us step up and do exactly what you've called us to do. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus who makes this possible in your spirit in our midst. May we obey you as you've told us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to ask you to do something. I just kind of feel prompted to do this. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a minute. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you would say to God, I'm struggling today. Struggling this week. I'm not exactly sure what I need to do. But I've heard a message that's challenged me today to change and to be what you want me to be. I want to give you a moment to talk to God. I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to challenge you to dedicate your body, your mind, and your desires to Him. Would you do that right now as we have silence? Father, I pray You would hear the prayers of Your people, that Your Spirit would empower and enable them and answer the prayer. Thank You that we can cry out to You in desperation. Thank You that You hear us and You answer and You provide a way. We celebrate and we worship You today for what You're going to do in our life. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.